right. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? We good? Can you guys hear me? Okay, they told me in the back. They said, it's going to be good. Go. It's going to be on. We got the mute button here. So I guess if I start preaching bad, they're just going to cut me off. Billy Proper's back there saying, if you preach long, I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> I have a history of tending to preach on and on and on and on and on. But Brother Ed said I can go all the way till tomorrow if we wanted. So uh, he told me this morning, he said, come, come pack in both barrels. I said, I don't have anything with two barrels, but I'll bring a full magazine. And uh, <laughs> so, all right. Well, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm thankful that I could fill in tonight for uh, Pastor Reno as he's out of town. And I guess Brother Tomlinson was supposed to be in town uh, preaching to us. And I guess he was unable to to come in, and so I, I got called upon, I got the text, I think, late Friday night. So, oh yeah, I can, I can preach, that'd be fun. I'd love to do that, and uh, got, got into my Bible, looking around, trying to figure out what God would, uh, how God would lead, and, and there's been things that he's been pressing on my heart the past couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about some of those things, but uh, I was telling Brother Proper today, I said, I guess I'm preaching tonight, because Brother Tomlinson couldn't make it, and he said, oh, good. I said, I've never heard somebody say, oh, good, to hear me preach over a well-seasoned preacher like Brother Tomlinson, but uh, it made me feel good, so, all right. Well, I'm glad you're here tonight, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's been a busy couple weeks for me and my family. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we, we went on a vacation, and uh, we've been in the process of moving, and my parents have seen probably too much of me the past couple days. I've been over at their house painting and fixing things and roofing sheds and stuff like that. But uh, I've been busy, but it's never too busy, uh, never too busy to jump in God's Word and to study and to learn. So before I get going anymore, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it. And I, uh, I hope I can be a blessing to you tonight with what God's laid on my heart. So, Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you so much for uh, Pastor Reno and his leadership in this church, Lord. I thank you so much for Berean Baptist Church and bringing uh, me back to this place where I grew up and, and, Lord, for allowing me to serve and to work in this place. I thank you so much for this church family that, that's here and that we're here to worship you and that we can serve you and we can love you with our whole hearts and we can follow after you. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts now and that you would, that you would use me and that you would just, uh, that you would be honored, you would be glorified and magnified in this time that your name would be lifted up. We thank you and we praise you for all that you do in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So it's a little little bit, I don't think I've preached up here in a, in a while. It's been quite a bit of time. And I think the last time I preached was well before the whole coronavirus thing had happened and talking about all that. We're, we do have Master Club coming back up and I encourage you if you got kids to sign them up. Uh, we, we call it Master Club. And we make it sound fun, but it's really a discipleship discipleship program for kids. Uh, there's a lot of Bible memory, a lot of uh, Bible study that goes into that, and there's a lot of work that's involved, and uh, kids that do it, uh, they will be blessed uh, with a lot of knowledge that they walk away from, and it's a, it's, it's a fun thing to do. So if you haven't signed your kids up for Master Club, and you got kids that are eligible, we go from uh, our youngest two-year-olds two all the way up until uh, sixth grade. So if you haven't signed up for that, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a fun time. Last year we had to cut off because of the coronavirus, and we didn't get to finish the whole year, but we are planning on starting up on the 16th, I believe. Uh, so we're ready to get that going. I, uh, I head that up, 
and have a fun time, I'm going to admit I'm a little bit more comfortable in front of two to six year old, sixth graders, two years old to six, you know, you guys are considerably bigger and you pay attention more. <laughs> so uh, most of the time when I'm in the back, I'm with the kids, I'm with the teenagers, I'm, uh, I, I help with the teens on Wednesday nights and I'm used to those, those crowds. Uh, God has allowed me to spend a lot more time back there than up here, and I'm grateful for that, but I'm also grateful for any time I can come up and preach. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We'll be starting right in the beginning. But uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, I was uh, able to go on a small vacation just like Pastorino is on, and we're glad that he can take some time to spend with his family and to relax and rejuvenate. We know that uh, Christ oftentimes would find, find time to be apart, to separate, to pray, and to rest himself, because he oftentimes would find himself uh, weary physically from the work that God had given him to do on this earth. And so he would find time to set apart himself, and we're glad that Pastor Reno can take that time to be with his family and, and get to hold those grandbabies. And if you are on Facebook and you, you follow him, you see a lot of pictures at least one every single day of those grandbabies, and they are cute. I'm biased. I have little kids, and I think mine are cuter, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but he's got cute grandkids. My parents told me that, my, that their grandkids are the cutest in the world, my kids, um, <laughs> and that they also told me when I, was, uh, when I was growing up, they said, Shane, if we knew grandkids were so much fun, we'd have those first. And when I got married to Chanel, I said, I want to try that. Let's just have grandkids first, but... Uh, uh, God had other plans, I guess, so we didn't get the grandkids first. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got to go on vacation. I'll have to say I got to go on vacation. Uh, we went to uh, Montana. There's not a lot to do in Montana. But we went to Montana. We, were, we rented a cabin out there. We were out there with my, my folks, uh, Steven Sugerman. And uh, we were just, the cabin was, uh, like, the river was like 10 feet behind the cabin but just down 50 feet, you know, so you go out, and then there's this cliff with a little staircase winding down. Big river, uh, so there's a river out by the cabin. It was, it was quiet. Um, it was rustic. I mean, to get any power, you had to go and turn the generator on. There was no heated water. Uh, it was, there was a big tank, so the sun, the water would go through a pipe. The sun heated up. That was hot water, um, <laughs> but we had a good time. We had, we had a lot of fun. Uh, my, my kids had a good time going down by the river and moving rocks and catching crawdads and all the good stuff that comes with that. My, uh, my nephew uh, Garrett and Braxton were there and my niece Peyton. And we had a good time. We were just relaxing. We were having fun. We were uh, spending time in the glory of nature and what God has created. And uh, I, uh, one evening in particular, I was down by that river and you'd go halfway down the staircase that led to the river, and there was a platform, a big wooden platform. And I took a big uh, reclining chair, lawn chair type thing down there, and I, I laid it down. Can I move around a lot with this thing here? Is it going to follow me? Because I, I like to move around. I feel very concerned. <laughs> it will follow me. I'm, I'm telling Autumn she needs to be busy tonight. I'll try not to move around too much. But I'm sitting there on that platform, and I, was, uh, I turned on my – we, we had great cell signal. Uh, which kind of changed the mood of the, of the whole vacation. But I turned on uh, some music, and I was listening to some good hymns. I was listening to a whole playlist of hymns and Bible songs and just listening to things like How Great Thou Art and uh, Be Thou My Savior and What a Savior and just wonderful hymns. And I was soaking up all that beautiful uh, Montana countryside and just the huge hills. And I 
watch bald eagles go flying by and they're scouting out the river and, and every now and then you'd see a deer poke its head out and come get a drink from the river and it would walk along and it was, it was just a beautiful sight. And my mind wandered away from all the political garbage that the world's going through and I didn't stop to think about, I wonder what President Trump has tweeted out today. I didn't stop to think about what the media had to say about it. I didn't think about what this Republican had to say about this Democrat or what was going on. I didn't stop to think about all the political nonsense that's going on in Seattle or Portland or wherever you want to point at. None of that came to mind, but I sat there and I just soaked up how good and how wonderful God is. I sat there and I watched my family play in the river and I watched my kids laugh and I watched them smile and I watched them giggle and have fun and pull out these huge crawdads and go, look at the pictures on this one and chase their sisters around. It was great. I loved it. And I thought, what a beautiful place. What a beautiful family I have. I love my mom and dad. I love... I love my nieces, my nephews. I just, how amazing is all of this? I'm listening to songs about God's glory, his majesty. I just, oh, I soaked it all in. But then it ended. And I came home. And I got, I got back into Facebook. And I got back into looking at, oh my goodness, look at what's happening here. And look at what's happening here. And look at all the garbage that's happening here. And my mind, going from one to the other, I I reflected on the passage in Psalm 33 and verse 12. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. America was founded on biblical principles. Our forefathers who laid it out made a a form of government that the world had never seen. It's I almost want to call it, it's the great political experiment. It's something that the world had never seen in the sense of we were doing something that we thought was, that Americans thought was right, but we were laying it in a way that we thought was pleasing to God. Within the past 10 years, I've heard phrases such as God doesn't care anymore, that God is dead. I've read articles that uh, talk about the decline and the death of Christianity in America. I've watched as presidents declared that America is no longer a Christian nation, but of multiple religions, and that Christianity should make way. I've seen statistics how the fastest growing religion in America is no religion at all, and many kids are leaving youth groups, leaving churches, coming out of universities as atheists or agnostics, saying that if God's out there, he doesn't care, or that God truly doesn't exist at all. I've watched... Churchgoers grow old as kids refuse to come. Statistics show that 80% of kids who graduate from schools and that grew up in church, 80% won't come back. 80% get out of the youth group. They get out of their parents' home and say, I'm done with that religion stuff. And they go to the world much like Demas, who forsook Paul for love of this present world. The world is not the same place I grew up in when I was a little kid. The world is changing rapidly, and I wonder what kind of world, what kind of America are my kids going to grow up in? It's changing much faster than I ever anticipated it could. 
And I think the blame lies on us as Christians. If you're in John chapter 9, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And we're simply going to read down to verse 5. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, for the night cometh, the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Like I said, America is, is very divided. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, I would just like to call it political nonsense. People that are following a camp or an ideal rather than stopping and critically thinking about things. And I think there's too many people, especially Christians, that are letting their politics uh, dictate their religion or their beliefs rather than letting their religious beliefs dictate their politics. Our relationship with Christ should determine how we uh, act as citizens rather vice versa. In John chapter 9, starting at the very beginning, we see that Jesus is walking down the road and they see a blind man. And being blind in, the, in, in Israel in the Bible times was, was a bad stigma. Blind people were looked at as uh, garbage, really. They weren't, a, they, the, the view on blind people was horrid. They were oftentimes looked at even less than people. And one of the amazing things that Jesus Christ did when he, when he came in, he was the very first person to heal a blind man. It had never been done before. Christ was the first. And it was one of the things that showed that he was different than the prophets that came before. It was one of the things that showed that he was unique, that he was really the Son of God. But just to show you the stigma that being blind had, what did his disciples say? As soon as they saw this blind man, they said, Hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents that he should be born blind? Now, I'm not a genius, but I do have five kids. And uh, I know that they're rotten little sinners, okay? But I don't know how much trouble they could get into before they were born. I mean, what sins can a child literally commit before they're born so that they're born blind? I mean, what, you know, they're, they're like being developed and decide they're just going to play, you know, use mom's kidney a little too hard for a punching bag? I don't know. They just decide that and God's like, oh, that's a bad kid. Blindness upon you. No. And God doesn't necessarily hold me accountable for the sins of my father. I'm responsible for myself. God gave us the freedom of choice that we can choose to be uh, who we want. I can choose to follow after God or I can choose to walk away. God gave me that choice. And we see there's a stigma in their mind that that blindness had to have been caused by sin. No, that's not true. Because Jesus lays out this blindness was put upon this guy 
so that my glory, that I could be glorified. We see that in verse, um, hold on, I'll find it, (laughs) Uh, in verse 3. But that the work of God should be made manifest in him. Okay. Let's just look at the blindness for what it was. It was an ailment. It was a sickness. It was something that God put there. Now, I want to draw some correlations here. I believe that uh, the the application is, is appropriate. I want to talk about the sickness. The sickness or the illness that was present in this passage. The blindness. We live in a country that's become blind towards God. We live in a country that's become blind to the things of God. We live in a day and age where things that are evil are now being toted as good and righteous. And if you speak against them, you're evil. Okay? And all of this blindness, all of this uh, evilness does boil down to our sin natures. We can't do anything to change it in the sense of, I can't have a sinless child. It's in our blood. It's in us. Because Adam and Eve decided that they would uh, eat of the fruit and death pass upon all men. It's sin nature. And sin is growing more rampant in the sense in our country as we turn away from God. The sickness in the lost world is sin. But there's just as much a sickness in Christians, in that old man that we're supposed to die to, we're supposed to put it behind us, we're supposed to bury it, we're supposed to leave that old corpse behind us and live a new life in Christ. And as Christians, I find that many times we decide we're just going to go back and dig it up and live like we were before we were saved. That we're going to live just like the world, that we're not going to set a difference, we're not going to uh, be different at all. The sickness in our country is sin. Every person needs the cure, which is Christ. And we're walking away from Him. And we're spending less time with Him. And we're losing sight of who He really is. There's a man named Paul Harvey. Anybody that's older knows who he is. Some of these young kids are going to be like, Paul who? What? He did a, uh, he had a show and one day he was talking and he was talking about that if he were the devil, what he would do to America. And in his discourse, he says, if I was the devil, how he would win over America to his cause. And he did this, he started back in the 60s, I believe the first time it aired was in 1963 or 64, the last time he would update it every now and then and redo it, and the last time which is this particular rendition, was done in 1996. Paul Harvey wrote, or said, and if I start talking like him, I'm sorry. I I just, I start reading this and I can hear his voice. But he said, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The, the United States of America. 
I would set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert its churches first, and I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray to after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd organize, I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd, have, I'd soon have families at war with themselves and churches at war with themselves and nations at war with themselves until each, in its turn, was consumed. And with promise of higher ratings, I'd memorize, mesmerize the media, fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young, intelligent, but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild. And before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors in every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse and the schoolhouse and then from every house of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and defy science. I'd lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have to give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive to be ambitious. Well, you bet I could get the whole, the whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich. I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and what you'd see on television is the way to be. And thus I would undress you in public and lure you into the bed with disease for which there are no cures. In other words, if I was the devil, I'd keep on doing what I'm already doing. I read that over and I thought, that is amazing. He hit every nail square on the head. We live in a country where evil is called good. We live in a country where churches are falling apart and they're breaking, uh, they're, there's more closing down left and right, arguing with themselves. There's a sickness. There's a horrible sickness in our country. Sin and Christians dealing with that old lost man, that old sinful nature that we should just lay aside and let it rot in the grave. But the story, the blind man didn't stay blind. It didn't end there. Which brings me to the second point. So the first one, there was a sickness. Number two, there's a servant. There's a servant. Let's look at verse four. 
Verse 4 says, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus Christ said, while I'm here, while I'm here, I can work. I'm going to. And though no, no prophet had ever done it before, though nobody had ever healed the blind man, Jesus Christ said, I can. He was the Son of God. Jesus Christ is our example. I'm going to turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Oh, forgive me, this is not the normal Bible I use. got uh, worn out and the uh, spine fell apart, so now I'm using a Bible that I got upon graduation from Bible college. And it's one of those ones I turn a page and I've missed like four books. <laughs> so, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Remember, I talked about that sickness and Christ came and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven from our sins. We have a cure. We have a cure from our servant. Our example, Christ. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted himself and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things of heaven and things of earth and in the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure." Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights into the world. Christ is our example. He came here as a servant. He, he took upon himself uh, the form of man. He was a servant. He served others. He's our example in how we should live. He's our example in how we should act as Christians. The term Christian is to be Christ-like. Though it was first given to us as an insult by uh, the believers at Antioch, those Christians being Christ-like, who do they think they are? And yet somehow they just said, oh, I like that. Call me a Christian. I'd love to be Christ-like. <laughs> Jesus was our example. And he tells us right here to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, Paul, oftentimes, and during this whole coronavirus thing, you've got the whole the mask nonsense. Do we wear the mask as Christians? Should we obey? Oh, government tells us we should. We should. And you need to draw the distinction on our government draws its power from the people and how we choose that it should be run. In Paul's day, when he wrote that we should obey the governments, 
Uh, it was dictated by the power, by the will of an emperor. And one man that would tell you, do this, and if you don't, well, we'll, we'll, we'll find an, an, a nice way to end your life. And for many Christians, that ended up being, being fed to the lions in a coliseum. Sorry, I'm deviating from my notes. That wasn't in there. But what was the work that Christ came to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to win souls. He came to preach. He came to save us from our sins. Because we couldn't do it on our own. And how can we be servants like Christ? Well, number one, if Christ is our, if Christ is our mentor, if Christ is our example, if we should be Christ-like, how do we strive to do that? Well, he laid it out in his word. He gave us, he gave us a great commission to follow. You can read that in Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20. I'm just going to go there and read it right now. Why not? It's a good passage. Hopefully I can get there in time. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever thing I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ said that we are to go, we are to win people to Christ. I've been coming to this church for a long time. I turned 31 years old this year, I think. I think my son was born on my birthday. It was like that year didn't happen. So for a long time, I was a year behind. 31 years old. I've been coming to this church since as long as I can remember. I've seen this church with the auditorium filled front to back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and at revival services. I've been in this church when it seemed like there was nobody left to come anymore. I've been in this church at high points. I've been in this church at low points. I've been around when it seemed like we were here more for a social club than to be Christians on a mission to reach a lost and dying world. I've been in this church when the focus was to be out there, to soul win, to reach the lost. I'll admit, for many years, I, was, I would say I was more of a stumbling block in this church as the fact that I, didn't, I knew I should be soul winning and I didn't go. I want to point out, I've had the privilege and I've started going back. I've started going out to knock on doors to tell people that they need to come into church. That they should come check out a place called Berean Baptist Church. Because at Berean, we open up the Bible and we preach the word of God. And we'll tell you how you can know Christ as your Savior. And it's, it's, it's not watered down with just a bunch of people up on a stage playing guitars, rocking out or whatnot. I don't care. That's not the point. The point is that you can come to this place. You can learn about Christ. You can learn how Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect sinless life. And then he died on the cross for my sins. A God who loved me more than anything to send his only begotten son 
to die for me, a dirty, rotten, ugly, nasty sinner. I don't deserve that. But I get to go out and tell people that Christ loves them. And he died for them. One of the things that convinced me to come back and start knocking on doors, I'm going to call him out, Xander, right over there. Great team. If you don't know Xander, I encourage you. He's probably like, don't, don't, don't draw me out, Brother Shane. I sat on the sidelines con- convincing myself that work, I've got so much work, I can't do this because I work on Saturdays or I do this. And finally I said, you know what, I can take the time. He goes out on Wednesday nights. I, told, I went up to Xander, I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. We've been going, I, I missed the past two weeks because of the vacation and sickness and stuff. But we've been going out, knocking doors, pulling more and more kids, more teens saying, hey, come out, come knock doors. We've got a good message. We've got the best message. I have never felt so happy in my life than I do out knocking on doors. I'll, give, I'll let you in on a secret. It terrifies me to talk to people like that. Right now, we, we're not, we, we only talk to the people right now if, uh, if they're outside because of the coronavirus and people getting upset. So we've, we've been putting them on the doors. But we get to talk to a person here or there. Our, first, our second day out. Second, was it second week when that guy yelled at us? Yeah. Some guy yelling at us, why aren't you wearing masks? Put your mask on, you're going to get somebody sick. He didn't want to talk to us. I had my son, my son Sterling with me, he's eight years old. And as this guy yelled at us and cussed us out, and, and then Xander came over and said, well, he was kind of salty. <laughs> <laughs> we should be about the Great Commission. I put it off for years, convincing myself, telling myself, oh, I'll get to it next Saturday. I'll jump on next Wednesday. There's always next week. And with everything going on and the coronavirus and all this and seeing how the world is falling apart, my life uh, and, and reading God's word, I need, to, I need to get back to this. God gave me a call to preach, but what good does it preach if I'm not reaching those who are lost, who need the message the most? So I got back into it. We should care about the Great Commission. Getting people to church. Teaching them about Christ. That's something that God gave to us. I believe, I, I wasn't here, I was in the back helping with the, the, the young kids this morning. Uh, did uh, Brother Ed preach out of John chapter 14? Yeah. Is that where he was? We should love the things that God loves. We should do the commandments that He gives us to do. We should do the works that He lays out for us. In John chapter 14, i got to turn back there. John chapter 14. I don't know how much of this was covered this morning, and I'm using this for a little bit of... But in John chapter 14, in verse 10, Jesus Christ believest, said, Believest thou not that I am 
in the Father, and the Father in me. And the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he do also. Shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son." If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. All throughout, I mean, I could go, I could go verse after verse after verse going through the Bible on where Christ tells us that we should be doing this and Christ tells us that we should be doing this and I can tell you I've failed here and I've failed here and I should step it up more and I should do more and I should be more involved. But time would not allow But if we love Christ, if we're following after Christ the way that we should, the works of our Father should be manifested through us. If we love Christ the way we should, we would do His commandments the way that we ought to. Jesus loved people. Jesus served others oftentimes before himself. Jesus put others before himself. And we should serve in the church that Christ died and paid for with his own blood. And we need to be involved. I I don't want to belabor this point, but I think everybody should have a place in the church. Everybody should be involved in some way, shape, or form. Everybody has a place to serve. When I was down in East Mesa, there was, a, there was an elderly gentleman who didn't have much. He, wasn't, he would tell you, I'm not that smart. I didn't get a good education. There's not much I can do. I'm not good at talking to people. But he said, but I want to do something. I'm too old to, to you know, the heat in Arizona. I, I just can't, I can't, I'd love to go out door knocking with you guys, but I can't. But he had an old vacuum cleaner that he owned, backpack vacuum cleaner from his days of being a janitor at an elementary school. And so he decided that if people, if we were going to have visitors come into our church, that he wanted them to sit on the cleanest pews they'd ever seen. So every Tuesday night, every Tuesday night, and every Saturday night, he'd be in there with his backpack vacuum cleaner going at those pews, just going at them. Let them have it. They were clean pews. I never sat in a dirty spot on those pews as long as he was there. I'll tell you this. He got sick. And I noticed when he stopped. That job, that little ministry that he found to participate in the church was gone. Somebody didn't, nobody came to fill that. Nobody felt burdened to take up that need, and it fell. And I would hear people say, man, why are the pews so dirty? What happened? 
That man took what he had. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, the do with all thy might. He took what he had and he said, this is all I got. This is what I can do. And by God's grace, I'm going to serve him. When the Titanic was sinking, hold on. Oh, front and back pages. <laughs> when the Titanic was sinking, there was a man named Mr. John Harper of Glasgow. Is anybody familiar with his story? Preacher on the Titanic. And as the, as the Titanic sank, this preacher was in the water with many of the people who couldn't fit into the lifeboats. And he swam around helping people up onto debris, helping them get up out of the water if they could. And while he did it, he, he would ask them, do you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know Christ is your Savior? He would say it like this. He would say, hold on. He would just simply swim up and say, are you saved? And he did that all night until he drowned. But he swam from person to person. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? And if they said no, he'd take the time to witness to them. Now, four years after the Titanic went down, there was a young Scotsman at a meeting in Hamilton, Canada. And he stood up and he said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on that awful night, the tide brought me to Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of wreck near me. And he said, man, are you saved? He said, no, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And before he could go on and tell him more, the waves bore them away. But he was brought back to him a little while later. The tide and the waves and Mr. Harper swimming around, they were slowly brought back towards each other. And he saw him and he recognized him and said, uh, Are you saved now? <laughs> no, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he started to witness to him. And as they were speaking, John Harper succumbed to the cold and sank into the dark sea. And in that meeting, he said, I believe I am John Harper's last convert. Thinking about it as a servant, Servants don't live the way that they choose. Servants live the way that their master dictates. It would have been very easy for an able-bodied man like John Harper to find a nice piece of wood to climb up on it and say, I can hold out here until rescue comes. But knowing, looking out over the waves, knowing that that person there might not be saved and that person there might not be saved and that person there might not be saved, he chose to get into the water and swim from person to person to person and witness.
until his own life was done. I've never been in a situation where it's my life or sharing the gospel. And I truly hope it never comes to that, especially in the United States of America. But would my testimony bear out the same that I chose to be a servant to my fellow man and witness to the end? But the thing about it is, is you can't witness if you don't go. A man came up to D.L. Moody once and criticized him for the way he went about winning souls. Moody listened courteously and then asked, well, how would you do it? The man, taken aback, mumbled and finally worked out, well, I, I don't. Well, said Moody, I prefer the way that I do it to the way that you don't do it. In this passage, we see a sickness. We see a servant that we are to model our lives after, Jesus Christ. But also we see a solution. The solution. The solution is the light of the world. The solution is Jesus Christ. The solution is being, uh, for a Christian, to live the way that we should, to follow after Christ's example, to be uh, light and salt in this, in this world. The solution is Christ. Verse 5 says, I'm in the wrong passage. Hold on. Normally, I write it in my notes. I didn't do that today. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But in verse 4, he said, the night cometh when no man can work. As a saved individual, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, if you've been saved, you've accepted him as your Savior, he lives inside of you, you are a shining light. We read about that in Philippians, that we are to be lights. We are to be witnesses that we are to reach all the world. <laughs> Sang about it when I was a kid. Put up my little finger, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, well, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I got older, I got distracted. This little light going to shine. <laughs> Our solution is Christ. As a saved individual, he lives in me, and it's my responsibility, it's my obligation, it's my pleasure to share him with the entire world. We need to preach. And many people say, I can't. They're much like that gentleman I talked about from that church in Arizona. There's not much I can do. I work these days. I'm busy. I've got a life. I've got a job. I've got kids. I've, I've got all that. And I understand. Life is busy. The world is crazy. But you've got to find somewhere. Somewhere to peg down. Somewhere to serve. Somewhere to be a light. You gotta be a, if the only place you can be a light is at work, you got to be a light at work. If you can't make it to soul winning at church, which if you can, we should. We should be at soul winning if we can make it. Teens go out on Wednesdays at 4, four o'clock. If you can make it to that, we'll, we'll be more than happy to have you come along and we'll, we'll go tell people. 
but we should find a spot. We should share the light that is within us. Because it's coming. The time is coming. When Christ is going to call His bride home and the light that's in the church is going to go up. It's coming. Stop and think about it. There was a farmer. He worked on his family farm that they had owned for generations back in the Midwest. And they had, he had this the farm had been in the family and he had worked it. He had gotten it from his father and he had been working this farm for years and years. And his children had grown up and they had moved away, decided that they didn't want anything to do with the farm, so he was looking for somebody to take it over. And the farm had fallen on hard times and in his labor to keep it going, he injured himself. And he was taken. He was taken off, off the tractor, so to say. Could no longer do the work. But that year was the biggest wheat harvest coming up that he had ever seen produced on his farm. He would get reports back from people saying, you, you wouldn't believe the amount of wheat growing on your farm, going from end to end. Just, it's amazing. But he couldn't go out and do the work that, for himself. And so he had reached out to some of the farmers in the, in the, in the, in the, in the town trying to get, and everybody was, well, we've got, we've got to get ours done. We've got to do this. And finally, one man across town said, I'll help out. I can do it. And they laid out a date. And the farmer, so excited, got himself out of bed on that day and hobbled on his little cane outside and went to his went to his driveway and was watching down the road. And he was looking over the wheat fields and he was thinking, my goodness, this will help. This is going to be so nice. This will, this, will, this will help bring me out of debt. This will take care of all the troubles we've had the past couple of years. This will be it. I'll finally be able to maybe call it quits. I'll be able to retire. I'll be able to do this. And he was looking over it. And as he watched down the road for his friend to come, he looked in the distance and he saw the storm clouds rising and start rolling towards him. And he thought, my friend surely must be coming just down the road at any moment. He'll come. My friend will come. And he'll bring his tractors and he'll bring his combines and he'll bring his friends and his helpers and we'll get this done. And the storm clouds kept rolling in. And his friend still hadn't come. And he, he sat and he watched till the raindrops started to fall. And the thunder began to boom and the lightning to crash. And he had to walk back inside his house. And he watched as the torrential downpour destroyed all of his wheat. Every ounce of it was gone. Nothing was salvageable. The man buried his head into his pillow that night and wept and cried. And the next morning he was woken up with a knock at his door. It was his friend who said he would come. He had gotten the wrong day. He thought it was that day he was supposed to come. I stop and I read that story and I think oftentimes, my Savior left this world. 
And he left it in the hands of Christians to witness, to be salt, to be light. Because the harvest truly is plenteous. And sometimes I wonder how many times God tries because people are dying and going to hell and Christians are too busy sitting in front of the TV or Christians are too busy scrolling through our Facebook. We don't have time for church because the football game is on. We don't have time to to serve the way we should because, you know, life. I don't want to be the type of Christian that when I get to heaven, Christ says, what did you do for me? And I, well, I got saved. And I, you know, I went to church most of the time. See, the solution is here, but we need a servant. God needs the servant to take the message. Just like that farmer needed his friend to come collect the wheat because he couldn't do it himself. Christ said he, he could make the rocks cry out, but he chose the foolishness of preaching. He chose you and he chose me over everything else to share the gospel. But what do we do with it? If it was left up to us in this passage, if Christ hadn't been there, that man would still be blind. But Christ showed him the light. Christ knelt down and did what was necessary to heal his eyes so that he could see. Are we willing to sometimes lay our lives aside to do what's needed to reach this world? Are we involved? Are we making this world a better place for Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.